I'm really feeling my podcast voice tonight, too. I can tell. <laughs> Wait, there's such thing as a podcast voice? Yeah, I just feel like in the sweet spot of like cool, oh. like bassy tones, but I'm not hurting myself. Anyway, oh, all right. Okay. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been and will always be an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Happy April, my friends. Welcome to spring. Happy April. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. It feels like it was just Christmas, literally. Yeah, it kind of does. Wow. Yeah, welcome to April. Welcome to spring. I hope we're all feeling like the uh, April flowers, whatever. The spring cleaning. April showers bring May flowers. May flowers. Okay, all right. We're all thawing out. Uh, I feel like Montana's got a real cold, like snowy season this year with the winter so same with wyoming yeah yeah i'm ready for it every year you guys this one feels different this one feels different josh Hmm. you don't know you live in i don't know seattle now (laughs) back off you coastal elite (laughs) wow hostile all right speaking of elitism what are you guys drinking tonight what what um well i'm i made another elite drink Um, i just had a alcoholic version of this and i'm now doing a virgin version of this is it truly because last time you said you had a virgin drink and then you said you added a shot of something and i was very disappointed i didn't add a shot i added bitters that's negligible this is truly virgin though um so i did this cacao juice that i found at trader joe's and it is delicious it's weird it's like kind of like guava but you know like you eat some fruit sometimes you are like is that savory it's like kind of like that um, so it's like half of that, half Topo Chico, a little bit of lemon juice, and it is smashing. It's mm. just fresh. Mm. It's great. Well done. Well done. I like that in the context of drinks, virgin has a better definition than we've ever had when it comes to like human sexuality. So true. I appreciate the clarity of the word in that context. That's nice. So true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Emily, what are you drinking? I'm finishing my green tea matcha with almond, and I also whipped up a nice mug of hot chocolate because it is starting to snow here again. Um, Not horrible, though. It's not a winter storm, not a blizzard, just a kind of little dusting over of snow. So I was kind of feeling the hot chocolate on this wonderful evening. Delightful. Well, I have not forsaken the ways of the LaCroix, so I'm sipping on a nice key lime LaCroix right now. Hallelujah. The king of LaCroix and... I'll say it. The king of sparkling waters. Ooh, um, you lost me. You know what? I will take that feedback and I will uh, reflect (laughs) and I will, I will learn 
and amazing. Disagree. We can agree to disagree, turns out. Oh, you've no, already, LaCroix, de- you've already determined that you're going to disagree? LaCroix is still the king. I will admit it's the king overall, but I am, I, I admit, I propose. You can flirt with a prince on the side. Pure Chopo Chico is way better than pure LaCroix. So, All right. if Topo Chico comes out with other flavors, the all bets could be off. I think you just like saying the word. It is fun to say. Disagree? Disagree. You don't like saying the word? No, what, wait, what are you saying? Are you saying the word disagree is what I no. like? No. Well, that too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, philosophically, you kind of give off that vibe. You do give off a vibe of discontent. <laughs> it's funny because I'm more agreeable than anything else. We've talked about this. This is very true. That's fair. A fellow nine shouldn't be degrading you. I'm sorry. Anyway, speaking of agreement, Stephen, what are we talking about today? What do you got? Oh, yeah. It's your turn, Here we right? go. Yeah, it is my turn. And we're just going to go straight for it because I, I have quite a few thoughts, but... Uh-oh. Um, I want to talk about the God-shaped hole in our hearts. Who says I have one? Just kidding. In a hush. Well, that's exactly the question I have to pose to Is you. Is if we have one? Yeah, because I have been reflecting on quite a few things in my life lately. I've been enjoying the process of participating in Atheism for Lent that's put on by Peter Rollins. And I grew up in a kind of evangelical setting that I don't think we ever wanted to use the cliche of like, there is a God shaped hole in your heart, but that is kind of the feeling I know I grew up with of like, you are incomplete without God, without Jesus Christ specifically. You will always be like walking with a limp, even if you like, fill that Jesus shaped hole in your heart. And then I was like, and you know, like reading uh, guys like Tim Keller, they would always say like, if you worship anything other than Jesus Christ, you will realize that that thing is not worth worshiping. And then it's only Jesus Christ who like fills that gap in like the throne of your heart. Right. So there, uh, there are a few contexts that I've been considering this phrase, but at first blush, how do you two feel about this concept, this phrase, this idea this phrase to me feels like the epitome of what Dan Koch calls like bad answers to good questions by people with pure intentions. I think that like this kind of phrase, like at face value sounds simply good. But I think like as you, and maybe like you already have this opinion, Stephen, but like, I think that as something like this gets interrogated, you like realize how quickly it falls apart. Mm -hmm. Mm. Like, I feel like I see the intent behind it. It's also a weird way to word it. <laughs> I think we should just acknowledge that. <laughs> the God-shaped hole in your heart. Like, why did we... <laughs> Somebody came up with this phrase, and you know that as soon as they were, like, praying, and then they, like, imagined a hole in their heart, and the only and thing that could fill it was the God Lord. shape yeah. And you knew that they struck... You, you knew that they thought they struck gold. Oh, yeah. What I love about the phrase, too, is that, like, it is very poetic, because, like, you cannot imagine that, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's very abstract. Like, <laughs> God doesn't make a shape. That's stupid. So, like, like we all know it's a metaphor, right? And I, it's also one of those phrases that I love because it's absolutely not in the Bible, but it is just, like, filled American Christianity. Like, everyone has heard that phrase. Yeah, I'm with Josh on the idea of I understand the intention of that phrase, it's one of those where I feel like it's just it's just missing the mark a bit. But I think the intention behind it is beautiful. 
Mm. It's, you know, this like this yearning and this this longing to be closer, you know, having a deeper knowledge of God, setting you on a path that's pushing you to live into God's message, God's teachings. But I feel like it is a phrase that can be manipulative. And that's sad. Yeah. Do you guys know where this phrase came from? I know it's a song. Stephen, do you know? I don't, honestly. I just looked it up. I'm on christianity.stackexchange.com, which I'm confused about because I thought that I thought Stack Exchange was for like hackers or something. I don't know. I obviously don't understand what Stack Exchange <laughs> Christian is. Christian hackers. But as far as we can tell, the earliest like conception of this, even though it's not the exact language, there was a book in 2002 with the language. But as far as we can tell, the earliest conception of this is by Blaise Pascal. Oh. As in Pascal's Wager. Interesting. Um, the book was published with this excerpt uh, after his death in 1662. It was published in 1670. Can I just read this? It's only a few sentences. Sure. This is from his work, Pensies. I know I'm mispronouncing that. Um, so the quote goes, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. Ah, okay. You're telling me that C.S. Lewis didn't invent that concept? <laughs> I am shocked, honestly. <laughs> Are you really? Whoa. Yeah, no, honestly, I feel a little surprised because until you started reading that, as soon as you started reading that, Josh, I was like, oh, this is a very C.S. Lewis way to talk about it. Mm. (laughs) Like, I feel those vibes. And here we have learned C.S. Lewis is modern Pascal. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like even knowing the origination, I feel like I still see the like, I feel like there's this type of apologetics that feels very like, common sense and i think that pascal was i mean i don't know pascal super well but just based off of what i know about pascal's wager mm-hmm. i would say that the like pascal like c.s lewis type apologetics style i i feel like it's it feels very like literary commonsensical if that makes sense for lack of a better i don't know how to like frame that in like a scholarly way but it almost feels like similar to shakespeare like in the way that like characters would pontificate on an idea and not necessarily like in a like a more scientific cut and dry apologetic style that we see today you know sure and so like i can appreciate like the poetic nature and and i think in some ways it feels really similar to like some of the psalms using metaphor to describe like the yeah the human condition and the the seeking of outside of oneself to the meaning of life like I, i think that that can be really meaningful but like at the same time why did you have to word it that way? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Why does it, why does it oh. sound so weird? Yeah. I don't like it. So I agree with the weirdness of it. I think for what good intentions there may be behind the phrase, I do think it is really easy to become a very like Christocentric, like whitewashed version of like of trying to describe the richness that one can find 
in Christianity. And I think it makes it prescriptive to the degree of like, oh, you actually can't be happy without this. And Mm. I don't like how withholding that comes across because I don't think that's reflective of, uh, of God who I believe is not at all withholding with the love and acceptance and affirmation he holds toward us, his like beloved creation. Right. I think there is a way that this phrase has also been like particularly romanticized, like in the sense of a romantic relationship. Uh, I feel like sometimes there are conceptions of uh, like romantic relationships and marriage, you know, like Emily, I know you've ranted on this. Like it's not that we're finding our better halves. Like I'm a whole ass person without Mm -hmm. Dixie, right? I don't have a Dixie shaped hole in my heart. And that's making me want to interrogate the idea of like, uh, I'm not convinced that there was ever a God shaped hole in my heart either. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I can get on board with that. Not just to like lean into the sexual soundingness of this phrase, but I think that the whole concept implies this view of God that I think poses our relationship to God as just one of like pleasure and satisfaction in experience. You mean like that mm, you know God I mean? awful gospel coalition article that came out? <laughs> in uh, March? Unfortunately, kind of. Yes. I wasn't even like specifically thinking about that, but yes, I'll call but, it out. Yeah. Dude, that yeah. was hot trash. That was wild. Oh my word. And like, it is my opinion that that is like a very low view of mm. God, like whatever God is like, surely God's, purpose in existence is not just to please humans or penetrate us with his love yeah yes exactly (laughs) and that's that's exactly what i feel like that view is implying and like i think that if you like pressed any like serious scholar i don't think that they would agree that that's like a complete view but like Mm -hmm. i think that like uh, i don't know this kind of for me this kind of gets to the problem of like how do you like explain some of these like mysteries of religion and faith to a child mm-hmm. like you do have to put it in simpler terms whether that child is like actually a child or it's someone who is like quote-unquote young in the faith or maybe like cognitively disabled a little bit mm-hmm. sure like mm-hmm. like how, how do you like simply put in terms the experience of human faith in the divine in a way that is not going to like mislead or cause harm later mm-hmm. and i think that that's like like i'm not a parent i'm not a teacher i'm just a cishet white dude with a podcast with my friends and like we talked about the harm that we may have caused on like one of our previous episodes that came out about a month ago. And I think that that's an interesting question to like reflect on if you're like going to have any sort of audience. But I think this one is hard because I think someone could use this framework and this concept of God filling your heart to like have the best intentions to like explain to someone in simple terms like what God offers us outside of like what we can find in the world. But like, I think that if you took that to its end, like if you just kept like expounding on that concept, I think that in the end, it's like this really weird view of God. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling there, but I feel like there's something there. And here's a thought. So kind of going back on what Steven talked about and what I've rant on previously a number of times, um, the idea of finding your better half, like becoming a whole thing when you're married and blah 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 
if we have this idea of a God-shaped hole in us, does that mean that there's a heart-shaped hole in God? Fun. Like are like are we completing God in that sense? You know, like we have to mm. we have to navigate those waters a bit. Because if we're trying to say we become complete when we have God, what does that say then about God? Mm-hmm. So I think the way it was taught to me was just to say, no, God is wholly complete in and of himself. Well, then that's just, that's stupid. <laughs> uh, a, a lot of the argument for that comes from like the, what what is inviting us into completeness is the fact that the Trinity in and of itself is already complete. And like that self-pouring, self-sacrificial, you know, that, that kind of ecstatic relationship. And I get that. Is already spinning. And we just like jump into orbit. I, I get that. But where's the like, where's the mutual... It, I, to me, it seems like it's missing like that mutual longing or yearning for. Mm. So, you know, I'm really glad you brought that up, actually. Uh, so I was just at recently at a wedding this last weekend. And to be honest, it was really cool because it was truly the first like non-religious wedding I've ever been to. And the guy who was officiating was like this childhood best friend of the groom. And he had a very short, you know, I wouldn't call it a sermon or a homily again, cause it wasn't religious, but he had a great series of reflections. And one of my favorite ones was like, you know, there's a lot of cliches that we can use to describe or try to describe what love is, but they will all like fall short of the actual thing that we're feeling and that, that we're experiencing and that we're committing to. And he described love not in a sense of like you guys are completing each other because like even he acknowledged in this little talk, like you guys were complete people and you just happened not, not that it just like just happens this way, but like, and you guys are making a decision to like share in that life together and enjoy things together because you have mutual interests. You have mutual things that you enjoy all these things. He's like, I've spent months trying to prepare for this wedding to think of how to describe love. And he's like, I think I can distill it to that feeling, you know, you will have when the person you are in love with is no longer with you. Mm-hmm. And he meant in like a death sense, like the feeling, you know, you will have, it's a very like understanding love is loss vibe, mm-hmm. man. And I found that really touching. And leave it to my mind to immediately just like make that spiritual in a sense. But I think that to frame the love of God as God also wants to avoid that feeling he would have to not be with us. And that's like, and that's why he chose to be incarnated, to pick up a body, to join us in humanity, to be Jesus of Nazareth and close that gap again right there like the the phrase close that gap is again implying like a deficiency a hole you know something that was lost something that was missing and i just like walked myself right back into it but i do really like this this idea of like our love for one another and god's love for us is ultimately 
self-serving in a way because it is trying to avoid that feeling we know we'll have when the other person is no longer with us. What do you think of that? I'm wrestling with that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I don't know if I have like a response to it, but I think it's interesting to put it in terms of loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think I'm wrestling with it because we know that we can't avoid it. Yeah. It is inevitable. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Emily, I'm curious how you would word if you are also not a fan of the phrase mm-hmm. God-shaped hole in your heart. Yeah. And like using that as a framework to describe the human relationship with the divine. Mm-hmm. What would you teach people as an alternative? Like how do you, because like what I'm also kind of picking up on from what, what Stephen was just like wording it as is I see like so much similarity to like the Romans road kind of theology. Mm. And I don't, I don't think they're exactly the same thing. Cause obviously like one's like really simplified and the other one's like really like story driven. Yeah. What would you, how, how would you teach an alternative or like, what would you change that you think would like make this more accurate or life-giving or Honestly, whatever? Finding references in our daily life can be very formative, especially if you're new to the faith or you're young. And honestly, and I'm not saying this just because I created it and I'm using it, but I really have found, even for myself, not new to the faith, that what I'm doing for Lent right now, using Lord of the Rings, is perfect because it's like a parable. So the whole point of parables was you're telling a story that has meaning to the people who are listening because they understand the references that are being used. So sower of the seed you know the mustard seed the grapevine if they were farmers or people involved in agriculture those references would make sense right so i feel like when you're talking about faith you need to find references that people can understand not dumbing it down making it more relatable and so you can find things in our everyday life that can have deeper meaning and shed some light on god the divine God's love, the love that we have for God. And I feel like we're almost afraid to do that because it's not biblical or it's not sanctioned by the church. 
but it's something that is a part of life. You can do it for anything. And I think if I were to be in conversation with someone who is new to the faith or whatever the case may be, I would want to use what the intention of a God-shaped hole in our heart is supposed to be. So I would really want to finagle with those words a bit and say, how can we say this better? I would prepare that. And then I would use that when talking about someone. Because again, I think the intention is there. It's just, you're, it's just missed just ever so slightly. What do you picture when you hear the phrase? It's like a puzzle piece, but I don't know what piece I'm missing. Yeah. And that's what, what I don't like. Because it's like, you're trying to tell me that I will be complete in God, but I don't know what that looks like because everyone's telling me God looks differently. Oh, yeah. That God's love is different. You have people who are telling me in order to be saved, I have to do certain things. You have other people telling me I'm screwed either way because I'm not predestined. You have other people telling me it's works of good deeds and all this. And you have other people telling me other things. And so how do I know how to complete something when I don't know what it is I'm looking for? Or, well, okay. So here's my big beef with it is. I also, for the longest time, pictured a puzzle piece, but not like I have the edges of the puzzle done, like all the edge pieces, and now I'm trying to like fill in the whole middle. I'm picturing literally all but one of the pieces of the puzzle is in, and I know exactly what I need because I can see the exact shape of this weird jigsaw formation, right? But somehow it got like stuck in the box and I threw away the box, right? Or like my pet ate it. And it's like, I know what I need and I just, I don't have it to put in there yet. And Hmm. not only does it take God to like show up and give me the piece, but it's God himself who is the piece. So like, that's, that's what I pictured for so long. And I think my biggest problem with that is like, it gives it a very like, um, like kind of to your point, Emily, like it gives it a very mass manufactured vibe of like, Mm -hmm. oh, to say for a white American missionary to tell a Mexican woman in her 80s that she has a God-shaped hole in her heart, that missionary means something very specific. And to go on this journey to say, like, this is the exact puzzle piece you need, when in reality it might, like, we might just be, like, working on completely different assumptions you know like it it just it makes a very cookie cutter assumption about someone and then says and i know how to fill that it's like you know it's when it's when two people are facing each other they're looking down on the floor and someone says look there's a nine and the other person says no it's a six yeah like well it's like if you're a hammer everything looks like a nail and if you're a christian everything looks like a god-shaped hole you know Mm. (laughs) you just gotta that's that's, but that is tweet that right now. Yes. Tweet that right no, now. No, that speaks volumes. That speaks That's so funny. That speaks right there. That speaks to the toxicity of Christianity. Because a hammer is used for what? Beat it in, man. Beat it in. For nailing. Oh. <laughs> well, yes. we're both right. <laughs> yes. Right. It's, Beat it in. It is forceful. It is an action that requires force and it's someone who is at the control of that, which means they have power. They dictate how hard they swing the hammer. They dictate if they are going to, you know, hang 
the picture on this wall and where the nail's going to go, right? And you're seeing it as a task to be completed and you got to get it done. And so you're going to use the best tool you think that you have, which is a hammer. And sometimes we forget how forceful we use hammers and mm-hmm. the fact that hammers can be used to harm people. And yeah, if not used properly, can be more harmful than good. And it, or like uh, or, or some might even believe that, you know, I know it's a screw. I know it's not a nail, but I think the hammer to get the job oh, done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or it's a push tack. Yeah. And you could just use gentle <laughs> means of pushing it in a bulletin cork board. But no, you're going to hammer it in instead. Yeah. Yeah. Throwback to uh, episode 108, Church Creeds and Imperialism, where our beloved mm. patron from Beyond the Pond, Jeff, yeah, uttered the phrase, truth wielded like a hammer. I think he said everything looks like a nail, but something like that. Heck yeah. Yeah. Great, great line. Um, I think I am team... This is a phrase that can either be weaponized or extremely life-giving. And I think that like Okay. I I think that this this phrase, while I think is oversimplified, does not inherently do harm in its own. I think that this is the the proverbial hammer. And I think that somebody could easily and unfortunately probably has weaponized this phrase to denigrate and degrade people's experiences by calling them incomplete humans, literally dehumanizing people because they have not accepted Jesus in some fashion, whether that is the white imperialist Jesus or otherwise. And so I think it can absolutely be formed into that kind of toxic view of Christianity. But I also think that something with this poetic language, this phrase included and other phrases like it, I think could be used in a way that is life-giving. Like for instance, I like Steven, your question really made me think of this because I was, I've never ever imagined a puzzle piece. I've always imagined like a literal hole. And I've always thought the idea was three dimensional or two dimensional, uh, like cylindrical. Okay. Like a javelin has gone through your heart. And so like, I've always, I've always thought the idea is like reminiscent of life and death. And in some ways is reminiscent of, the crucifixion and like the hole in Jesus's side and like the, the, the very, some of the Yonic medieval interpretations of that, which I have only come to found out in the last couple of years. Right. And like that, that, that is really interesting artistic representations of faith. And like, I think that you could talk about this phrase and like put it in terms of like life and death in a really compelling way that is not necessarily toxic. So I think that I am team this is one of those phrases that could go either way. I think that many of us have had like weird encounters with phrases like this, but I also think that this phrase is not the worst in Christianese. That's my stance. That's very nuanced and middle of the road. I like it. You're welcome. Yeah. Classic me. So I, I was reflecting on this question, getting ready for this episode, driving home from work. Cause I was driving through the parking lot and a bunch of other guys were coming out of the office I was like, I was driving past him and waving at him, and I was just struck with a feeling that I used to have. I don't anymore. And I think what I'm coming to terms with is like, I'm starting to learn how many impacts holding a position of universalism actually has on the way I behave in the world. Because I remember, I mean, like Emily in high school, I tried to do see you at the poll, but every day. 
You did, yes. I tried to literally like convert Mr. Butler because he was our chemistry teacher and I thought he was like preaching against God by teaching evolution, even though that was mm-hmm. his job and that was mm-hmm. in the textbook and whatever. And like that obviously isn't the person that you should be battling out with, even if you hold that stance. But like I tried to do that. I did that to uh, Mrs. Bennington as well. And then I became like great friends with her as her TA junior and senior year. And I apologized profusely a couple of years after high school for all that. I had dreams of literally being like the evangelist kid on the bench at lunch, right? Like mm-hmm. preaching to the hallways and driving home from work today, seeing guys come out of the office. Like I know I work with non-Christians and I also know I work with very Christians, you know, like I, I know that. And some of them also know where I sit, which is a, which is a very fun place in my opinion. But, um, just like passing these guys, like I had a moment of like, man, there was a time in my life that I saw literally everyone as a God shaped hole to fill, right. To like, Mm. I have something you don't have and I sincerely want you to have it. And I think we're talking about this today because it's just another one of those things that is like coming into the light for me of like, I am pretty thoroughly convinced of universalism and the impact of that is, man, I just don't feel the pressure to like try and convince everyone, you know, in this apologetics way, like a, you have a problem. B, I have a solution. Please buy it. You know, um, it's a very like step three profit, but it's like step three. Don't go to hell, please. Cause I think you're cool. Um, and I just don't feel that pressure and I don't feel like, uh, I feel like I get to approach people in a much more open way because I'm not just trying to find the angle to make them a Christian like me. Mm -hmm. So I was meditating Josh on a possible reframe that could allow us to use the phrase if we want it to, uh, because it can be life giving. And I think I want to start my pitch for the life-giving version of it uh, with the dad joke that goes, dad drinking a beer out of a pint glass, turns it over and says, when it's empty, there's a hole in my cup, you know, and points at the top ah. of the, <laughs> points at the top of the cup and is like, yeah, that's the, you know, very good, very solid dad joke. But what I like about the image, if we were going to say we have a God-shaped hole in our heart, I think the idea of God being fluid and watery and being able to like whatever the vessel is water will fill that space first it will seek out the lowest points and i think that is a very generous interpretation of like what crucifixion is right like water seeked out the lowest point then there's even like jesus being pierced in the side and water and blood coming out And then we have images of like Psalm 23, right? Like my cup runs over as I'm anointed with oil. Like it just like spills out. And I think I could also describe this as like, this is when the creative urges hit me really hard. And I call it the juice. Like when I'm inspired by the juice, I think I'm tapping into something that also inspired, say the prophet Jeremiah and also the author of Luke, you know, like that kind of intoxication and conviction about wow something's happening i feel like i'm tapping into something that's outside of myself and i feel like i'm contributing something good something positive is a very watery thing to talk about i I learned that from my friend rachel angard on 
her episode of no normal people. She talked about that a lot in terms of creativity. And so like when we talk about the God shaped hole in our heart, I don't want to see a puzzle piece anymore. I want to see whatever shaped vessel, whether that be a Buddhist shaped vessel or a Hindu shaped vessel, Mormon, you know, like if we have a God shaped hole in our heart, I don't think God needs us to make sure that hole looks exactly like the puzzle piece we're missing. I think God can enter whatever space we make available to God's self. Hmm. My brain is stirring. And I maybe one closing thought that I have. Stirring is, up the waters, you could say. Oh my God. No, yeah, that is, that's, that's good. Good on you, Stephen. I think one thing I would take away from this conversation is the idea of being complete because initially my brain, and I'm sure many people would agree with me, is when you think you're not complete, you think you're not right or you're not good enough or you're unsatisfactory. And in order to be complete, you got to do things, you got to fill the hole, whatever, and then you're good, then you're right, then you're complete, then you're whole. And I wonder if the idea of being complete has a more life-giving meaning than that. Mm. And that's what I'm stirring up in my yeah. brain. I think my best reframe of completeness nowadays is just something about richness. Like we've been talking a lot about gardening um, in our book club and uh, one of our patrons, Tyler is like a gorilla gardener, a self-described gorilla gardener where he goes and like plants trees that are endangered and like nurtures them. And Tyler talks a lot about like a rich soil being able to give so much life to those trees and to those plants that he's fostering essentially. So like I'm not in a place as my last topics episode is uh, an indicator. Like I'm not in the place where I view completeness as we need salvation and like we were missing something. I view completeness as man, everything just feels so much more rich now. Mm, well, and it also defend, it depends on how you define rich because even soils yeah. differ and things grow in different environments. And we would consider some soils to not be rich, like deserts or... Yeah, it depends on what's trying to grow there. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think, but people would say richness and say there's nothing rich there. Like it's a desert. We see cactus. So what? But I don't think like... I don't know. I I don't and I don't I don't like the idea of riches either. There's something that's still missing with, with that. And I don't know why, but it's that's what's on my heart and I'm just going to keep wrestling with that. That's kind of the point of all this anyways is to keep wrestling with it and yeah. to find that we may never have an answer and you know, maybe the answer is finding that there are things that still stir within us that make us feel like we need to have an answer or we're better off having an answer. And maybe there are just some things that don't need an answer. And maybe for me, that's this thing. And maybe for our listeners, it's this or it's a previous episode we've talked about that stirred up a point of conversation. Maybe it's future episodes. That's like, that's why we're doing all of this. And I hope people will hear this and they think, man, I'm really enjoying what these guys are doing and they're not seeing it as we're trying to complete people theologically or come to all the conclusions. We hope to have some answers, but we know that tugging on these threads are gonna 
sometimes make it more messy. And the beauty of that is, is we are doing that together and hearing from one another, being shaped by one another and having it be life-giving conversation. 